0: Here's the thing, friends. So uh, we are—I know—we're still on this gardening theme, and I'll tell you when when we talked about Jesus being uh, mistaken for the gardener on Easter morning, and how maybe it wasn't a mistake, and maybe that is one of God's deep characteristics. And then I couldn't kind of stop thinking about that. So then last week we dove into Jesus teaching about how he is the vine and the call and invitation to stay connected in order to bear fruit. And then I thought that was going to be done, because each time Tor was like, so are we in like a series right now? I said, no, no, I'm just, just riffing. Um, and then this week, again, I just finally gave up, because there's too many gardening images that Jesus uses that are not just the same, they're very diverse, to help us understand what God's all about. So I finally just said, heck with it, let's just spend a few weeks talking about how God gardens. And so, uh, so that's where we're at right now. Um, so we're just going to keep looking at these central stories, at least for this week, maybe probably next week too, and then maybe uh, shift to some things. But since we're sticking on this, I, uh, I brought some seeds. Does someone want, who, who would like, just as a thank you for being so gracious about all of our gardening themes, anyone like seeds, flower seeds? Yeah, come on, just come get them. Sean, you want them? Your sister's calling you out. Here you go. These are seeds for you, my friend. Just take them, throw them in. You'll, you'll, they, they, they go really well. They're, uh, they're dandelion seeds. Uh, so they're super easy to grow. You just toss them in the garden and boom, they'll, they'll take off in no time at all. So come back and tell me how it goes. Um, so, so here's the thing. In, in the scriptures, and we'll get back to that. In the scriptures, Jesus is obsessed with this one central image, and he mentions it over a hundred times throughout the four Gospels. And he calls it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And and he, in in his own words, he came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to say that the kingdom of God was both within people and in front of people and coming. Okay, it was an already not yet reality. It encompassed both, and the reason is. That encompass both is that the kingdom of God is wherever God is king. So it can take place within a person. It can also take place among a people. Anytime that there's justice and mercy and care and redemption, and forgiveness, it can also take place on a massive system when systems of, of systemic injustice are overturned and there's wholeness in some way. So Jesus is talking about what this, and, and, it, and it can happen in uh, the dream of God's future reality that we are participating in. But, but we sometimes focus so much on that that we forget that Jesus was talking most of the time about bu- building the kingdom right here and right now. So, so that's, that's uh, great. And that's kind of where we're leaning into with the symbolism and the imagery uh, that, that we look at in the stories that Jesus tells. And when Jesus tells stories, we call them parables most of the time, uh, he tells stories. Of, a parable existed to use Uh, really accessible stories and language, always with a hook or a surprise on some way. So Jesus would tell a parable, and it would often be something that people would expect or be familiar with until one moment. And then they'd be like, huh, that's different. Or they'd laugh kind of sheepishly because somebody that's not supposed to be criticized is getting a bit of a critique or... Um, somebody who's not supposed to be important ends up being important, or somehow the world gets thrown upside down in some small way or some massive way. All right, so that's what a parable is. So Jesus tells a parable, and he tells this story, um, and before, before we get into it, let me just say that um, Jewish folks were meticulous gardeners, all right? And um, I have a couple of meticulous gardeners in my family too. Uh, this was a long time ago. This is about eight years ago. Adam, turn it up, okay, brother? Uh, but uh, these two can still be, uh, be pretty good at gardening when they get into it. They're much better than I am, but this was a long time ago. One right there. One right there. Are you all the way? Oh, oh them that. rocks. Now, cover it up. Tap, tap, tap. Right? Tap, 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 tap. So, anyways, that's my daughter and my my wife, um, eight years ago, and so they have always been gardeners, and they're very good, Uh, specifically Bethany is really good at creating, like, neat rows and making a garden look really, really, really beautiful, and that, in many ways, was how the Jewish people approached gardening for a few reasons, all right, and we'll get into that in just a second, but I want you to have an image of a garden that is pretty free of weeds. And with very clearly defined boundaries. Okay? Everything has its place. And every place has the thing. Alright? So, here's the very, very simple story that we're looking at today. Um, and it comes from, uh, from Luke 13, although it's told in multiple Gospels. But let's take a look. Um, Alright. So, it's a very simple story. It, all we get is these few sentences. Then Jesus asked, what's the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? All right, he's in the middle of kind of a teaching series here himself. And here's what he says. It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. That's our story. (laughs) Slightly anticlimactic, possibly. Um, The kingdom of God is... Like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. So, uh, so God's kingdom is growing. It starts small and it gets big. That's great. Like it's a good image, uh, you know. Like, and and the the thing is, that's pretty much the interpretation that comes most of the time when we've heard this story. Faith like a mustard seed. And if you Google faith like a mustard seed, you see, you know, pictures of tiny seeds. And the mustard seed is very small. In, uh, in the book of Matthew, Matthew explains the story as Jesus saying, you know, though it's the smallest of all of the seeds, it grows into something larger. Now, it's not the smallest, Jesus and other people at this time in the Near East would have been familiar with things like the orchid seed, which are super tiny, like, the grain of sa- like a grain of sand. A mustard seed um, was something like that, all right? So it's small, for sure. It's small. And, and so something small grows into something very big. But Here's the problem. If you Google it, you'll see all of these beautiful trees, you know, with yellow on the top. The only problem is that that's not mustard at all. Mustard doesn't grow into a tree, all right? And so, so this, this image of, of Jesus saying, faith, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and though it's small, it grows into this massively, massively large, like, invasive bush, all right? So this is, these are both pictures from Israel. This is not us you know, taking these images for ourselves. So let me explain a couple of things about what might be happening here because on one level you say, okay, Jesus is, is telling, you know, this story and I'm, granted, he teaches a lot and as somebody else who has had to do that, I know that you don't hit it out of the park 100% of the time. So maybe his disciples are like, I mean, okay, it's pretty good. Yesterday was better. You know, that story about the prodigal son was killer and this one's just kind of, eh. Okay, but that's not what's going on here. You see, Jesus could have chosen, he could have chosen a different image, all right? Uh, if, if he was going to talk about small to large, about just basic growth like that, the standard understanding of this passage, um, why not use a better image? Perhaps we have some surprises coming when we encounter this text. Um, because we're 2,000 years removed, and we don't truly understand how the original hearers would have heard this. And so, like I just said, mu- the mustard seed is considered a bush. Now, some big, big bushes, mustard bushes, he was talking about something uh, most scholars understand to be a, a type of black mustard. Um, but, but a bush maybe could get 7 to 10 feet high. And it was kind of all over the place. Um, but, you know, so it's certainly not the largest of the trees, you know, um, it's not an impressive plant, so that's one thing that we just have to learn. Um, others, other examples could have served so much better, and it would have also been things that people would have been used to hearing. Uh, every plant starts from a seed, right? So, so um, you know, in terms of using something like a mustard bush, you could use the rugged olive tree that lived for decades and decades and decades. Um, or uh, the, the beautiful stately palms, which would have been um, recognized and understood in that area, specifically around Jericho. Um, or the best image, maybe, the strong and powerful cedars of Lebanon, all right, that symbolized in the scriptures, the cedars of Lebanon, they symbolized power and majesty. All of the nations of the earth were symbolized, the great nations were symbolized by this sort of an image. So you get in Psalm 92... Uh, the image of the righteous flourishing like a palm tree, straight and impressive and beautiful, or growing like the cedar of Lebanon, right? So these are the images if you're going to talk about something growing into something impressive. That's your image. In Ezekiel, um, the prophet is talking about how God is going to take um, the images that he's going to, to chop the top of, top of, a, of a tree off, um, it's a cedar tree and plant it as the new Israel and what he, how he's going to redeem Israel. And it will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. Now, a big cedar would house the massive birds, the storks and the, um, the eagles, and they were representative of the great kings and the great leaders of the time. So, so a branch that would that would provide shelter, that would be even big enough that all of the greatness of the world would come to it and come under it, and it would be a house for them, was, was a sign of, of the beauty and how impressive uh, a, a tree like this would be. And here's just another example later in Ezekiel. Consider Assyria, once a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches overshadowing the forest. It towered on high, its top above the thick foliage. So this is the imagery that Jesus totally could have used. Cedars of Lebanon are killer images. They were 250 feet high, some of them. They lived for decades and decades, and some of them for over for, cent- or for uh, centuries. And so, so this is what we're looking at. And instead, um, we get a bush that does not have strong branches. Like, can we, like we just need to be really clear about that. It doesn't have strong branches. If you put like you or you or I could take our hands on a mustard. Bush and push it and push the branches most of the way down. Probably break them off ourselves if we really wanted to. Okay, so now we're starting to get maybe a little bit more of an image that's not what you see upon first reading. So the second surprise is not just what it is, but how it grows. All right, wild mustard grows like a weed. Um, In fact, all all types of mustard kind of grow like weeds. If you are familiar. Ben's in here, you know, mount, the mountain bikers, you see the wild mustard right now, it's blooming everywhere, right? All over white clay. It's these, these uh, white flowers that stand about this high and, and they're invasive and so what people do if they're hiking around white clay is if they're near the side of the trail, you just pull them off and put them right in the middle of the trail so that they just get run over by runners and bikers over and over again and get destroyed. But it grows like a weed. Mustard by its nature is horrible at boundaries, okay? Okay? Uh, So it'll start taking over any field that it's nearby. And although it's an annual, it reseeds itself so rapidly. uh, It has a germination period of like six days. Yeah, yeah, some of you who know gardening, like that's insane. I think radishes maybe, five, and that's it in terms of any plants that start sprouting out of the ground in less than a week. And so it just keeps coming up over and over again and you can't stop it and you can't really erase it and it grows really rapidly and really aggressively and it spreads like this invasive shrub. Shrubbery. We watched, we watched Monty Python last week. So I can't say shrub without thinking about that. It was only ever planted outside of the city limits of Jerusalem and surrounding areas. You couldn't let mustard go inside the city or it would get out of control. It would smash up other crops. All right, now we're getting there. So let's keep going. Here's, here's where it gets really interesting. The kingdom that Jesus, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you this. Uh, in just a couple minutes, you're going to figure out what this means. I'm not going to tell you, okay? I mean, I'm going to tell you some, but then you're going to figure it out the rest of the way. So we're working together on how this affects our lives. I like doing that sometimes. So this kingdom that Jesus was talking about was not the only kingdom present at the time, All right. There were two other kingdoms at work when Jesus was teaching this, and the first one, what we're going to call, uh, we'll call it, um, we'll call it the kingdom of the temple. All right, and the kingdom of the temple was the Jewish religious structure of the time. And the kingdom of the temple was everything that went into understanding Jewish law and behavior, and it was all about purity, all right? So the kingdom of the temple cared deeply about purity. What I mean by that is that to replicate their understanding of God's purity and God's holiness, rules were put into place, many of them in the book of Leviticus, about keeping things pure, and the way you kept things pure was by not mixing things. Okay, so you can't plow with an ox and a donkey together. It was, you couldn't mix those two things. It, it messed up order and purity. Uh, you couldn't wear clothes that, um, that had different types of fabrics in it. You probably, is my battery going? Okay. Um, yeah. My battery says it's super full. Okay, maybe I bumped it. All right, sweet. We're still good. Okay, where were we? Um, How it grows, kingdom of the temple, purity. Yes, yes, yes. So you can't have two fabrics intermingled. You can't marry people outside of your tribe. Uh, Even seeds in gardens had to be carefully separated. Separation led to purity and order, right? And this was godly. Mixing things would lead to chaos. And this is how God is honored. All right, this was the understanding. This is the understanding. I just want to make sure that that's clear right now when I say this is how God is honored. That's how people understood God to be honored. And much of the Jewish system accomplished this perfectly. That's why there are courts when you get into the temple system that say these people are allowed here. The women, you have to stop at this court. The Gentiles, you have to stop at this court. That means non-Jewish people. The common Jewish people, you have to stop at this court. Only the priests are beyond this. Then only the high priest. So there's all of these lines of separating and understanding that that's how you maintain purity. Okay. That cares about purity. The second kingdom that's at work, the other kingdom, is the kingdom of Rome. All right. Jesus lived during a time of Roman occupation, okay? So when we think about Roman occupation, often we think about the Jewish people living on the streets and Roman guards walking down the middle of the streets being like, listen to me or I'll, I'll hit you with my sword, right? And that was actually true. However, what the kingdom of Rome and what occupation is really about is about profit. So you would, con- you're, you would conquest and take over lands, And then those people that you had taken over, they would work for you, whether it was direct slavery or whether it was some sort of indentured servanthood for paying taxes. So so Rome cared about profit. Um, And what I mean by that is that everyone who worked the land had to give a significant 30% of all that they created, of all that they grew, had to go back to, to the Romans first And then believe it or not, then it it went to the local Jewish government and they could tax on top of that. So the common Jewish peasant had very little to work with already. But the way that Rome got richer and richer and richer was not just by gaining land, but gaining all of the assets that that land provided. With me? Okay. All right, cool. So there's your little mini history lesson um, that we're getting into. So the kingdom... Uh, the temple was all about purity, the kingdom of Rome was all about profit, okay, um, with Herod and, and Caesar both kind of working together, and both of them were all about power. And the way that power was understood was about maintaining the status quo, about keeping people in line, about holding on to a very clear ranking system about who was in control and who was less significant. Okay. This is the reality into which Jesus offers this kingdom language. The kingdom of God is like a guy who planted mustard in his garden. Now here's one really, really interesting thing about this. Someone who is telling this story is looking for trouble because planting mustard seed in a garden was actually expressly prohibited according to the purity rules of the Mishnah. The Mishnah is um, one of the Jewish um, holy books. It's an understanding of interpreting the law with more specifics. Um, This is the kingdom of the temple that we're talking about. In an ordered society like a garden, everything had its place. I mentioned that things from Leviticus Leviticus 19, non-alike things are not to be mixed. The later elaboration in the Mishnah, which is the Jewish interpretation on that, was clear. Uh, the mustard seed constitutes a mixed kind. This is in Mishnah Kalayim one five, also in chapter 3, verse 2. It's called a forbidden mixture, all right? It was strictly prohibited to plant mustard seed in a garden. By planting the mustard seed in the garden, the man violates the, vol- the, the law of diverse kinds and pollutes that garden. So here's the thing that gets really, really fun, because when we look at the passage, oh, this is what it can do. Um... Maybe why you shouldn't plant it in your garden. But uh, this, and here's just another picture of, of how the law of separation. So this is a Jewish garden in Israel, and you can see how things are built up about, about um, how do you keep things separate. But here's the thing. A man took and planted. The word for planted is a very kind of mm, interpretation of the word balo, which is the Hebrew word that means through. You know the stories that Jesus tells where people get thrown out of the wedding, the wedding celebration. Same word. Tossed without regard for where it lands is really the word that we're talking about. Uh, so, so a man took and threw without regard for where exactly it lands, threw a bunch of mustard seed into his garden. So we get planted and we think that maybe, you know, he was cultivating a nice little corner. No such image. So Jesus says the kingdom's like this guy that just threw this mustard seed right in the middle of his beautifully ordered garden. See where this is going? But the garden's unclean now, according to the kingdom of the temple, right? The garden um, is now a symbol of chaos. It's been taken over with something that's growing wild, something that's difficult to control. In this image, Jesus is suggesting that the kingdom of God is dangerous and deadly to the temple system, all right? It's dangerous and deadly to the temple system, particularly as people like Gentiles might enter into it, making things unclean, but more than just them. And in time, this will take over the ordered and controlling society of the kingdom of the temple completely. The kingdom of God is taking over the kingdom of the temple. Jesus' kingdom is going to displace the neat and tidy systems of temple religion. So that's up here. But it's also going to eat into the prophets of the Roman system. Because, like I just showed you a moment ago, Here's what happens in all the fields. And in the book of Matthew, uh, the, the man is sowing mustard in a field. Here it's in a garden, there it's in a field. And so both of those image, images hold, hold value. Uh, but remember, this Roman occupation, right, was about profit of every acre of occupied land. So the kingdom of God is going to eventually destroy all of the systems of Rome's power, which included massive oppression and occupation. And here's the coolest thing. You, you, uh, you see the line where the birds are gonna come, right? That birds is a direct reference to Old Testament imagery. But here's the thing. The great grand eagles, they can't land on mustard plants. So the types of birds that Jesus is saying the kingdom is built for are the undesirables. They're the small ones, the ones that people see as meaningless, the one that Jesus, is, Jesus reminds us even when two Sparrows fall, God cares and notices, right? So the image here is that all the pesky birds that are not the carnivores, but the ones who are the seed eaters who are gonna come in and, and kind of eat from all of the, the gardens and all of the fields, that's exactly who this is for. The people or the, the, the birds that the Romans and the Jewish leadership want to be kept out because it messes with the system and it eats into profit. All right, are you with me here? So all this means that the small and seemingly powerless are going to be greater than the mighty cedars of Lebanon and the nations that they represent. Even the powerful Rome is at risk. So the kingdom of God then is a threat to destroy the kingdom of the temple and the kingdom of Rome, and Jesus is right there at the center of it. And so the imagery that Jesus says when he talks about planting mustard in a garden is about flipping over the entire structures, about keeping people out and valuing power and control, right? And so, so what we see is Jesus knows that if the mustard gets going, it's eventually going to overtake everything else. Um, such is the invasive nature of God's love. It takes root if it takes root in our lives first, internally within us. The real kingdom, right? Not a sanitized religious version of it, but the real kingdom of God. If that love and grace takes root in us, then it will begin to transform and hit every single part of us. There is no part of our lives that will go untouched because the nature of the kingdom within us is like a mustard seed, right? God's radical love and grace, it's going to impact everything. And then the same thing will be applied as we live that out in our world. So so this kingdom of God that grows and spreads in such a not tame way is going to affect how we see people. It's going to affect the systems that we see out there. It's going to affect how we treat and, re- and, and act for redemption of, for the poor and those who are suffering. And it's so hard to stop once it gets going. And that's what I think is really important. If we just drop the imagery just a little bit here, um, the reminder that the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is not a big tree that can be chopped down with one ax, We have a lot of systems in our world, a lot of churches and religious systems that rely on the one or two that are in power. And when those powerful people fall, the system itself is thrown into chaos. And we've seen that happen over and over. The celebrity church culture, world-famous pastors... That, that get drunk on power or, get, or, or lose their way, and all of a sudden the damage that's done is massive. But if the kingdom of God is like Jesus says, then how it ought to function is that every single one of us ought to be doing that work. And guess what? An axe will not get very far in a field of mustard. Right? You pull up a couple, of, a couple of roots, but because it's going from person to person in each one of our lives, because we have a low structure where it's not about someone having a bunch of power over another... It's about all of us understanding that we have been given the keys to the kingdom and that we have a job to express the love and the care and the grace of God. When all of us are doing that, it creates an unstoppable movement. And if that happens, and I know we've talked a lot about this because I do a lot of the teaching and I'm the only person that is employed full-time here, um, although our pastoral team is wonderful. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow and we have a mustard seed kingdom, we're, then our community thrives and continues to show love and to be people of, and agents of redemption. And that's kind of the goal, not to get hit by a bus. But that's really what we're working for as a people. Um, to have a kingdom, to have an expression of God's kingdom that looks like a field that's just covered is beautiful and it's powerful, it's pungent. If any of you had some of that mustard with the, uh, the soft pretzels this morning right? It's tasty, but it's pungent. It's got power. It's just a power used in a different way. Um, God has this dream, and when people catch it, it has the ability to grow like an invasive weed. It's more than just a small to big image and comparison. But there is a small to large comparison, and that is that just a little bit of God's kingdom is more powerful than a whole lot of the kingdoms of the, the world and its systems, which we sometimes struggle to believe in. Because sometimes we think that, hey, if we can use God's kingdom to, like, accomplish these things, you know, like, let's use Jesus and let's gain as much power as we can in the world. But power corrupts. And so we need to be careful about linking ourselves to political power. We need to be really, really, really cautious about thinking too much of ourselves and, and, and becoming too big so that when people look at us, they see us like mighty cedars. It's just not the nature of God's humble kingdom. So, so we, we need to be very careful that we remain people whose imagery looks like the mustard and not the mustard becoming a cedar. Um, I don't know what exactly the most healthy influence looks like in the world for Christ followers, but I know it has to look like servanthood and humility. I don't know exactly how we go about being people that, that bring through systemic changes to the world, but it has to happen through humility and, and, and love and not through power from above. Um, so this is an image, and I, I love this kind of idea that uh, our job with Jesus is to like, keep sowing the mustard. Sounds like a, I don't know, sounds like a weird phrase, like like a drug phrase or bathroom humor or something like that, like you're sowing the mustard? Yeah, I've been sowing the mustard. But, uh, but God uses his church and he uses people. And so we have a role to be sowers with, with God, um, planting love in unlikely places that kind of mess with the systems a little bit sometimes. To do it in the character of love, um, but to not be afraid that the kingdom of God will cross boundaries that often sanitize religion, religion, um, and those in power are uncomfortable with. So here's your summary in case you fell asleep. I'll give you 30 seconds. Jesus is critiquing, not with his, not just with this image, but his life and ministry, the purity system of the temple and its barriers of cleanness and uncleanness. And he's critiquing the power structures that are present in both Roman and Jewish political rule, which push the less desirable people to the sides. A garden bush that pushes out other crops and brings in birds that nobody else will welcome is the sort of message that threatens all of the systems of power. So Jesus here is bringing a revolution that loved and valued common people, outsiders, the poor, the unclean, and the Gentiles. And he was saying that the kingdom itself is designed for those people. And this type of kingdom is both powerful and kind of subtle. It's humble. It's unstoppable. And when it gets rooted, it's nearly impossible to eradicate because it will spread to every corner of each person and every corner of the places that they touch. That's why the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Amen. Jesus, help us figure this out.